When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Thursday morning, the 19th of January. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reed on LMFM. I believe that you failed as Minister for Health to properly support our health service. I think you should take responsibility for that and I think you should apologise to all of those patients who are left without the care that they deserved. And you should apologise to all of those on the front line who are left high and dry without the tools and the capacity and the ability to deliver the safe care that they wanted to deliver. In my own county of Monaghan, I saw local elected representatives, but more importantly, local communities, warn Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael governments that if they were to remove services from Monaghan Hospital, it would lead to increased pressure on Drogheda and Cavan emergency departments. And it happened. We warned. I was actively involved in pursuing ministers for health in respect of a GP shortage that we were seeing in County Monaghan as far back as five years ago. Of course, ministers say it's an operational matter. What did the HSE say? They said there was no shortage of all. And now we have across the state a recognition that primary care is in this array. Two decades at least of negligence have become home to roost. We have fewer acute inpatient hospital beds um, in hospitals than we had 25 years ago. Um, And in 2022, there wasn't a single day, not one single day, that there were fewer than 300 people waiting on trolleys. It's a scandal. It's 2023 in a first world country. It's nothing short of outrageous. And that overcrowding is going to get much, much worse if your government continues to ignore the health professionals in Our Lady of Lords and move all the acute emergency cases from Our Ladies in Navan to Our Lady of Lords Hospital. But again, it's like you're not listening. Sinn Féin's Melda Munster, Matt Carthy and David Cullinan heaping pressure on Stephen Donnelly over hospital overcrowding. The Minister recognises the problem despite his best efforts and what he says has been significant capital investment. The current capital processes in this country, be they in the HSC 
or in government, tendering processes, planning processes, when you put it all together, they are not working. It takes years and years to put in place capital infrastructure, critical healthcare infrastructure, that we need to put in place much quicker. So I'm working with the department, I'm working with government, I'm working with the HSE to see what actions we can take to significantly reduce the amount of time required from when a decision is taken to add beds to those beds uh, being open and staffed uh, and being used to, uh, to treat patients. The current combination of processes between European laws and tendering laws and planning processes and internal evaluations and re-evaluations and strategic reviews and business case modeling and external validation of strategic reviews, when you put it all together, it's taking years and years to put in place critical infrastructure that patients need now. Stephen Donnelly. Let's speak now to Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health, David Cullinan, and a very good morning to you. Thank you for joining us on uh, the programme uh, today. We heard there from uh, the Minister explaining how difficult all of this is to solve. And despite his best efforts, there's been over 500 people on trolleys every single day this January, peaking at almost 1,000 people on one individual day who hospitals couldn't offer a bed to but despite his best efforts the minister explained that was as good as he could do should he be able to do better absolutely he should Um, and i think what was absent from the minister's contribution yesterday given the horrific number of weeks and months that we've seen in our healthcare systems was any recognition of failure on his part no responsibility for the fact that we had the levels of overcrowding that we had Uh, The only reason why the numbers are down at the moment is because of the escalation measures which were put in place by the HSE, where hospitals were asked to make sure that staff were working overtime, moving to a seven-day service, which is welcome and should be the case anyway with more staff. But obviously we don't have the staff, which means that we're asking those on the front line to do huge amounts of overtime. We know that hospitals don't have enough beds, don't have enough surgical capacity, diagnostic capacity. And all of that lack of capacity added to the pressures in our emergency departments at a time when demand had surged. The Minister put in place a winter plan, which was clearly insufficient, was never going to meet the challenge. All of the warnings were there in the summer when we had a summer trolley crisis. And all of the representative bodies of staff from the Irish Medical Organisation, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, the organisation which represents emergency doctors, were all saying that this was going to be an absolute disaster. And it was. And when you have emergency departments, consultants and doctors and nurses and others saying that the conditions in hospitals are inhumane, and that tells you how bad things are. So obviously the Minister has to take responsibility, and not just for the last two and a half years, but 20 years of underinvestment, in my view, and not putting in place the capacity because it was as far back as 20 years ago when Ender Kenny said he would end the trolley crisis. We've had capacity reviews which have set out the number of beds that we need, the additional staff numbers that were needed in our healthcare systems to provide safe levels of care. Those capacity reviews were never fully implemented. The capacity wasn't put in. And obviously that falls to government and successive governments for failing to do it. And I think at a time when we had the crisis that we had and it got so bad, rather than the minister looking for a pat on the back for the work that he thinks he has done, and there has been additional investment, and I welcome every single additional euro of investment and all any and all additional capacity put in. And 
it wasn't a day for looking for a pat on the back for work that was done. There has to be a level of political responsibility for the failures in putting the capacity in and leaving patients high and dry and sleeping on floors in emergency departments, but also leaving those on the front line high and dry and not equipping them to be able to provide the safe levels of care that they want to provide. I should mention to our listeners that Stephen Donnelly isn't available to us this morning and Fianna Fáil said uh, that nobody from Fianna Fáil would be available to us either to represent the Minister. The Minister did say in the Dáil yesterday that despite all of uh, the obstacles in his way there's been significant investment, many steps taken and there will be many more steps taken that he will do better in the future but as we heard there it's going to take years and years to solve some of these problems. You heard a similar story from the interim CEO of the HSE, Stephen Mulvaney, on Wednesday, uh, that it'll take years and years before the trolley crisis is fixed. I suppose we'll just have to get used to it, will we? Well, I think that the, the day that we accept that the trolley crisis is normal, I think will be a bad day for, for politics and, and for patients and for staff. So yes, it's going to take some time to ratchet up capacity. The problem is that all of the foundations that will enable us to be able to speed up processes was not, was not put in place. So the Minister is right that it takes far, far too long to get capital projects approved, get them through all of the various processes in terms of the public spending code, the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform, the business cases, the reviews, all of the things the Minister said he is right. But we have been pointing all of those issues out to him for years. And only now is the Minister looking at improving those processes, fast-tracking some of those processes. We don't have the detail of exactly what the Minister is proposing. He sometimes sounds like a commentator when he says all of these problems exist, but his job is to solve those problems. And it isn't just his job alone. It has to be a whole-of-government approach because we have to review how we deliver major uh, capital projects, be it hospitals, because the elective-only hospitals, which are really important, and which will help in separating scheduled and unscheduled care, obviously will take time. But I think the biggest failure of this government was in the budget just gone, and the Minister has taken no responsibility for this. So for all of his talk about, I've done my best, and we'll do more, um, and we put all of this capacity in, in the budget just gone, there wasn't one single cent for one single additional inpatient bed. That's a fact. There were very few additional community beds. And we know we need more community beds to act as step down and recovery beds to speed up discharges. So if you're a hospital manager and you listen to the Minister for Health say, I will do more, but you know that those beds are not coming, the additional staff are not coming, the diagnostic capacity is not coming, the surgical theatre capacity is not coming, and whatever capacity that you had at the start of this year, you are likely to have the same capacity next year. Then that doesn't tell me that the Minister and a government that has listened that is putting in the capacity. So a number of years ago, yes, there was funding for additional beds. There was 1,200 beds funded in 2020-2021. 150 of those beds have still not been opened. 150. And that's because they can't recruit the staff. And why can't they recruit the staff? Because we're not training enough nurses, we're not training enough consultants, we're not training enough junior doctors, radiographers, all of the allied healthcare professionals needed. And again in the all yesterday, the minister said, Acting again as a commentator, in my view, yes, we need to substantially increase training places and double training capacity over the next five years. But he has no plan to do it, and there wasn't a single cent of additional funding put into many training places 
to enable it to happen. So mm. my point, Michael, is there's no point in coming into the doll chamber to defend yourself, to talk up a good game as to what you did, to look for a pat on the back. And his main criticism yesterday in responding to the Sinn Féin motion was that we didn't give him credit for the work that he has done. Uh, that's his job to sell his uh, his good points if that's what he, he wants to do. But yesterday was a day, I think, for government and opposition to focus on solutions and what we need to do. Hmm. And that's what I did and I pointed out. What we need to do, hospital capacity, obviously, and all of those issues we talked about is, is paramount. But we also need to look at community services. People don't have access to whether there is GP care. We don't have enough GPs. We're not managing patients better in the community. People can't get home care and home support packages, which means they end up in hospital and stay in hospital longer. All of those issues are really important, as equally as important, in my view, as, as putting capacity into uh, the hospitals and the crucial element in a workforce planning. So we actually have a plan that substantially increases training places and addresses all of those recruitment and retention challenges. That's mm. what the minister needs to do. And I, I know that you so laid out... With the minister to get those issues done. I, I know that you laid out four priorities for the minister to take pressure off uh, the service this year because we're far from out of the woods this year. You spoke about a shortage of staff, but what about the staff that we do have? Uh, because... I think you'd be looking at figures of almost a thousand people on trolleys every day, as we saw on one day this year. Uh, if it wasn't for the existing staff who are working seven days a, a week, uh, even at that, we figures of over 500, over 600 uh, uh, on some days. Uh, but is there a risk that the staff that we do have are going to burn out? I think we've gone past that point, Michael, because they've obviously had to endure COVID and all of the difficulties and challenges that COVID presented to the healthcare system. We had the cyber attack, which further complicated the delivery of healthcare. We then had all of the catch-up care that had to be done because of COVID, because the first casualty of a surge in demand in emergency departments is a cancellation of planned procedures, non-urgent and elective procedures. But all of that care then had to be caught up on. So while everybody else was getting back to normal after COVID. The healthcare system was catching up on all of that missed care. We had a summer trolley crisis for the first time this year. We went into the autumn and it was again stretched in hospitals, staff being asked to do huge amounts of overtime. And then it got to the winter in the last couple of weeks, which we know was a disaster. And the HSE at the Oireachtas Committee meeting on Tuesday actually let the cat out of the bag when they said that the escalation measures that they took which was the crisis management response where they directed hospitals to cancel elective procedures, prioritise resources in hospitals into emergency departments, redeploy staff, ask doctors and nurses to come in and, and work if they're off, all of those measures that were put in place. What they said was the only reason why they put those measures in place on the 22nd of December and escalated them further in the first week of January is because they are time-bound, because you cannot sustain that level of ask on frontline healthcare workers. So what is going to happen? We heard the Minister talking once again about the perfect storm this year and uh, I think you accept, I think everybody accepts uh, that it's been a dreadful year for respiratory illnesses with flu, RSV and COVID uh, but this could stretch out uh, into March, maybe even uh, as far out as April. Uh, if we have this perfect storm and we don't have the staff who can continue working this level of overtime 
what's going to happen uh, if all of that continues? Are, are we going to return to these scenes of people being treated like animals on hospital wards? Well, all you can do in the middle of a crisis uh, when you can't immediately put additional capacity in. So I'm talking about the next number of weeks and the weeks that have gone. The best that hospital management and frontline staff can do is maximise use of the resources that they have. So one of the things that can be done, has been done, that has taken pressure off in some hospitals is making greater use of level two hospitals. And it's very interesting, despite all of the talk that we saw about closing emergency department services in Navan, all of the dangers that we were warned of, of, of keeping it open, what they actually did in, in the Midwest is they started to use Ennis and Nina as surge capacity and direct patients in ambulances that would have been going to University Hospital Limerick to those level two hospitals. There is also now a very strong argument being made, and the HSE accepted it should be something that could be looked at for a level three hospital in the Midwest, either Nina or Ennis. So all of the things that the HSE said in the past weren't possible became possible because of the emergency. So obviously using smaller hospitals in a more strategic way is important, but we also need to use private hospitals. And there's examples of that in Waterford, for example, where we happen to have patients on trolleys, but we, there's pressures obviously in the hospital and in the system. There's a very good relationship with the local private hospital. They use the private hospital to do planned and elective procedures, which means very quickly and very rapidly. And maybe sooner than other hospitals, they can cancel elective procedures in the hospital, get patients treated in the private hospital, so they don't have all of the miscare and all of that building up. They can maximise capacity in the private hospital and then free up day beds and surgical and medical beds as inpatient beds. So that's what you do in the very short term, but it isn't sustainable. What we need to do is actually right now put additional funding in to ensure that by the summer, through rapid build of modular units, that we actually have the beds in place. I don't see any urgency from the department. And my problem is that there's a focus right now on hospitals. It will be bad for the next number of weeks. It will eventually ease as the level of illness produces, the pressures will ease somewhat. And my fear is that we move on to all the other issues and then come the summer or whenever the, the surge happens again, we're back to square one mm. and not one additional bed will have been put into the system. And wake up again next January once again saying, oh, wow, it's a, an unprecedented year for whatever the reason is. Uh, and again, having the same conversation yeah. and the same minister telling us that we need to do more, we need to speed up processes, we need more beds and doing all of this. The proof now will be in what happens over the next number of weeks and months. Okay. So we need a plan set out by the HSE. Here's what we're going to do for the months of January, February, March, right up to the summer. We're going to work with hospitals to put in rapid modular bills. It doesn't take as much time mm. because of the nature of, of those developments. They work. They were put in place in Limerick. They were put in place in other hospitals. And um, Hospital management are looking for them. And then obviously we have to do all the other stuff that does yeah. take time on workforce planning, on surgical theatre capacity, diagnostic capacity, training more staff. And the crucial, because I, I'm conscious that when we talk about hospitals, all of our uh, efforts, I suppose, and, and, and the discussion revolves around what's happening in the hospitals. But if you talk to anybody who works in healthcare, they will say community services, GP capacity, out of our services, sleep, uh, pharmacists. And, and caring for people in the home, caring for people in mm. community settings 
is as important because if you don't have that capacity and under as much pressure uh, I suppose it has to be said uh, as well uh, we we'll leave it there for the moment but thank you very much indeed as always for joining us on the programme this morning David Cullinan is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health and uh, just uh, to reiterate the Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly wasn't available to us today and Fianna Fáil were not able to put forward a spokesperson on behalf of uh, the Minister with us today Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the all resumed yesterday and business was dominated by ethics legislation and if TDs meet the standards expected of them in public office, the spotlight was firmly on Pascal Donoghue, but there was also strong criticism of local TD, Damien English, who's been forced to resign as Minister for State. Today you uh, take your first leader's questions and your cabinet is mired in scandal. The two deputies at the centre of these scandals, former Minister Damien English and current Minister Pascal Donoghue, reportedly received a round of applause for their efforts at last night's meeting of the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party. Last week, Damien English was forced to resign as Minister because he lied on a housing uh, planning application. Taoiseach, there are tens of thousands of people who were not able to build a one-off home because, unlike Deputy English, they were honest in filling out their forms. But he believed that those rules did not apply to him. Mary Lou MacDonald, Labour, like Sinn Féin, had many questions about the behaviour of the two ministers. What has emerged in the last week about the conduct of not one but two Fine Gael ministers is deeply concerning. It raises fundamental questions about standards in public life, and standards in public office and trust in politics, the rule of law and indeed the integrity of our democracy. One minister has already resigned without answering any questions and further, the minister responsible for ethics reform is now under investigation for undisclosed election donations. It's certainly welcome that Minister Donoghue will make a statement this afternoon in the Dáil and take questions, but regrettable that it appears there will be no facility for responses to our questions. The Labour leader, Ivana Bakich. Now, the Social Democrats have just as many questions to put to not just one, but two Fine Gael ministers. So here we are again, another Fine Gael minister who seems to have problems filling out statutory forms. First, we have the revelation that Damien English submitted a planning application which included a barefaced lie. Now we have a Minister for Finance who can't keep track of his election donations and expenses. Roisin Shortall, they didn't mince their words, did they? Opposition leaders made it clear they believe Damien English lied to Meath County Council and they believe that that was not acceptable. A Minister of State resigned last week when it was revealed that false information was submitted on a planning application. That cannot be the end of it. As the leader of Fine Gael, can you say that this is behaviour your party tolerates? And do you think that it's tenable for a TD to remain in your party having given false information on a planning application that they benefited from. Now, this was a leader's questions and uh, the Taoiseach responded with Leo Vratker saying uh, that the questions that opposition are asking are questions that will be looked at by SIPO. We have a system of accountability when it comes to the Electoral Act and the Ethics Act here in Ireland and it is now up to the Standards Commission uh, to examine this complaint. It's not for us to make definitive judgments. Uh, We have the Standards Commission to do that and they will look at it impartially and make a decision. This ultimately is a political chamber, a political place, 
Um, we all know how votes will fall if there is a vote. Um, that's why we have an independent commission, a standards commission, to take it out of the political cut and thrust. And that body will look at the information independently, and they will decide whether or not to carry out a preliminary inquiry. They haven't even decided that yet. And if they do decide to carry out a preliminary inquiry, that will happen. And only at that point will they decide whether it's appropriate to have a full investigation at all. And I think it is important that we respect uh, the ethics legislation uh, that we voted through in this House and allow the Sanders Commission to do its work uh, free from political interference, whether it's from government uh, or, from or from opposition. The Fishockley of Radker explaining how this will be dealt with, but he did not appease the opposition. Tishik, uh, with respect, you haven't answered any of my questions, and indeed your response has shed no clarity and perhaps obscured things further. The crucial point here is that we cannot see any return to the bad old days when politics in Ireland was plagued by corruption and by grubby deals and by cronyism. We can't see that, and we need to be sure that that won't happen again. So Tishik, I'm repeating my question. In respect of Minister English, is that behaviour behaviour your party tolerates? The submission of false information on a planning application which resulted in a benefit to the individual. I can't put it any clearer than that. What action are you taking on that as leader of Fine Gael? Ivana Backage again there. Now there was actually some uh, agreement because nobody, it seems, approves of the way that Damien English lied on that planning application form. Thanks, Deputy. Of, of course what Minister English did in relation to his planning application 14 years ago is not acceptable. Uh, not to my party, not to this government and not to anyone. Uh, that's why he resigned. Uh, and, he, and he resigned and, and, he, and, he res, and he resigned and no longer and he no longer holds uh, office uh, in, in this government. Um, party matters are separate and we have a party disciplinary process and that's, that's not a matter uh, for, for this chamber of deputies. Uh, in relation to... That's the Taoiseach Leo Radker speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday. I think he was going to talk about Pascal Donoghue there and uh, we're going to be talking a lot about Pascal Donoghue and the hot water he's found himself in in the second hour of the programme with Fergus O'Dowd, a local Fine Gael TD who may also share his thoughts on what the Taoiseach said was the unacceptable behaviour of Damien English. Michael Reed on LMFM. 51% of his own uh, credit card. This is according to research which has been published by the Irish League of Credit Unions. It's a very interesting statistic. I think I would have thought it was much higher. I'd have thought most people own a credit card, but no, it appears just over half of us own a credit card. What's equally interesting is that 16% of credit card holders have made a New Year's resolution that they're going to throw away their card this year, and that could be down to the amount of interest that they've been paying on money that uh, they've got through using uh, the card. Actually, uh, most people uh, don't pay interest. 65% of credit card holders, according to this research, pay off their balance in full each month. But that means... 35% of credit card holders don't pay off their balance in full each month. What does that mean? Interest. How much interest? Well, think about it for a minute uh, and uh, we'll ask Paul Bailey uh, to hold off telling you for a couple of minutes uh, because you may be surprised at the amount of interest that you pay on your credit card if you don't pay off the balance in full. Paul Bailey is Head of Communications with the Irish League of Credit Unions and he's on the line. A very good morning to you, Paul, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. A lot of people don't know. People are scratching their heads at the moment wondering what the answer to that question is. They're not alone, it seems. No, uh, good morning, Michael. No, um, 66% of, of people that we surveyed, they actually don't know how much interest they pay. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
So um, the average, on average, the, the interest rates range from 17% right up to about 27% is, is probably the dearest credit card. And, and your listeners can, you know, find out the full range on the uh, consumer Competition and Consumer Protection Commission website. And I'd urge people to, to, to have a look at that website to uh, fully understand the costs of a credit card before they actually go and, uh, and apply for one. So that's www.ccpc.ie. It's a very good website. Right. Um, well, that's a bit like going to a money lender, isn't it? Uh, 17 to 27%. Uh, uh, absolutely. It's uh, huge. It's huge. And, uh, and as you rightly say, it, it, like the, you, you've quoted there, 65% of people will pay, pay off their interest <clears throat> on a monthly basis, which is, is great. Uh, if, if you're disciplined like that, then the credit card has a place because it's quite yeah. handy to, to pay for your purchases that way. But if you're not disciplined, a bit like me, <laughs> um, then you could run into trouble really, really quickly. Um, Very quickly it, at those rates. Yeah. I mean, a hundred euro. It's if you owe that, it's twenty seven. Uh, if it's a thousand euro, it's suddenly two hundred and seventy euro. Uh, exactly, exactly. Um, but you have the opportunity to pay it off before the interest is applied. So right. if you if you do that, great. But if you don't, and you let it build up. Then what people don't understand is that as the, as the balance goes, for, if they don't pay mm. off that balance, as it goes forward, they, they pay interest on the, the full balance from the date of transaction of, of for whatever they bought uh, to the date of payment, as well as the interest on the outstanding balance. So that, that balance is building up the whole time. And as people make more purchases, mm. they're just adding to that. Um, and very quickly, as you say, people get into trouble and, and you know, 16%. Throwing the card away, that's up from last year as well, percent. Okay. So they throw the card away, the card away last year. So There's a minimum people, payment you have to make, isn't there? Uh, what happens the, if, you, if you make the minimum payment? The minimum payment is just enough, I think, to keep the, the administration of your account ticking over. But people, 34% of people believe that, that that's, if they make this minimum payment, that they don't they don't pay any interest. Right. Um, which is st- staggering um, because these these credit cards, these products are not cheap. Hmm. Um, but you do, if you if you make the minimum payment, you still have to pay interest, do you? Oh, so you're still, you're still paying interest on the outstanding balance that you have, yeah. So, so that, that doesn't, uh, it doesn't impact on the interest at all. So unless you clear the credit card bill at the end of the month, you're going to pay interest? You are. That, that's the bottom line here. Right. Um, so <clears throat> I, I think <clears throat> there's a couple of things here. Uh, again, two-thirds of the people we surveyed felt that the credit card providers don't do enough to explain how that interest works. Uh, now, there is, as you know, lots of terms and conditions that come with your credit card. That's um, generally a small print. We'd urge people to read it. But as I said, one way of actually educating yourself is use that CCP, CCPC website. Mm. Um, can can credit card companies do more? I probably think they could because... Um, you know, uh, could they do more educating people? Could we, like the the, the, the credit union, have a, a strong focus on financial education for our members? So we, you know, are always encouraging our members to talk to us about any type of loan products. Uh, so that if they're, if they're thinking of making a purchase, even for a holiday, because we found with this survey, a lot of people are using their credit cards to pay for holidays. Mm. That's an expensive holiday, Michael. You know, if you can get a a holiday loan from your local credit union or indeed from your bank for about 8 or 
Um, well, you know, it yeah. doesn't have to be if you pay it off. The problem is if you don't pay it off, of course. Uh, and if you don't pay it off, uh, and you, let's say you still owe a hundred, uh, it's twenty-seven. Or if it's a thousand, if you're talking about holidays, uh, it's two hundred and seventy. Yeah. Uh, so you then owe one thousand two hundred and seventy. Uh, if you don't pay that off again, you're paying twenty-seven percent on top of that again. That's right. Yeah, that accumulates right. all the time. Right. Uh, and you probably go on a holiday and use a credit card there as well and spend more. I, I knew somebody once uh, who ended up uh, with huge debt, the equivalent of a, a month's wages, Paul, uh, mm-hmm. on their credit card. And what they used to do to get out of that situation was that uh, at the end of the month, they'd get their wages, they'd pay off their credit card bill in full, and that left them with nothing for the month. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, they transfer money from their credit card back I- into uh, their ordinary uh, account uh, minus uh, 20 or 50 euro, I can't remember, but eventually paid it off that way. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, we, we had a case of a, a very quickly, uh, a lady, unfortunately, was due to get married. Uh, her fiancé dropped out two weeks before the wedding um, and she went, her way of dealing with that grief was to go on a spending spree and went on an online spending spree using her credit card and got in so much debt that eventually the family intervened and got her linked in with the local credit union where she was able to take a, a debt consolidation loan to pay off that bill. And now, thankfully, she's on an even keel and happily mm. married again. And, you know, and uh, of course, the, the, the rate of interest from the credit union will be far, far lower than that 27%. Oh, well, the, the, the max a credit union can charge is 12, 12% interest. Okay. That's, that, that's under law. So, Okay, um, food for thought. Get, yeah. get get a loan to pay off your loan, but pay less interest on the new loan. by taking Exactly. The credit exactly. Paul, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Very interesting stuff. Paul Bailey, Head of Communications with the Irish League of Credit Unions. Michael Reed on LMFM. As I uh, did not know that payments had been made to those individuals, uh, due to that, I did not review my election submission form. That was my mistake. I accept responsibility for it, and I want to reiterate my apology again for it. That's the but Minister many, many for Public Expenditure apologising uh, for not declaring a uh, donation during his last election campaign in 2016. Let's speak now to Fergus O'Dowd, local Fine Gael TD. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, all of this is a little bit embarrassing for your party, I'm sure. Well, it's obviously we much prefer to be talking about the economy, about the jobs, about the issues in relation to the budget and the budget changes, the tax changes, uh, the take-home pay for people on, on who are working and also for social welfare. Yes, of course it is. It's a distraction. And that's why we're very anxious that the, if SIPTO are now dealing with it, that they obviously they will deal with it fairly and expeditiously and obviously that the outcome will be sooner rather than later. Yeah, a lot of people are ha- unhappy about that uh, because Pascal Dunahoo said he, he's finished taking questions. Uh, the opposition says he didn't answer the questions uh, and uh, the Taoiseach uh, says, well, uh, it's Sipu who he'll have to answer to. But some people think that that'll take forever and a, a day. Well, that's, that's, that's a question. I don't know the answer to that. They're an independent body. There's a retired judge who's a chairperson of it, uh, and there are a number of other people the, uh, who have not obviously the clerk of the law, clerk mm. of the Senate. Uh, there, there's also the auditor general. So there's, so there's people on that body yeah. you know, who, who, who have a lot of experience in dealing and assessing these issues. And clearly, obviously, while politi- politics can't 
dictate to them, I, I would say the wish of everybody is that as quickly, as appropriately and as fairly as possible, uh, the complaint that has been made is fully investigated. What do you and think of what opposition leaders called a, a barefaced lie when Damien English filled out his planning application form to Meath County Council? Well, obviously, Damien has paid a huge price for making that declaration, which was not accurate at the time. And he's lost Was it a barefaced lie? Well, I mean, I, I, look, I'm not in the business of calling people liars or not. What I'm saying is that I do not, uh, I, I do not accept that that was the appropriate thing to do at that time. Did you applaud and, Damien English at the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meeting? Uh, no, Michael, no, I didn't actually, for the very good reason that I wasn't there at that time. I was on my way to Leinster House and I was late getting to the meeting. I was about an hour late going in. But I do applaud his work as a minister and as a TD and personally my, 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 my knowledge of his extremely hard work both in his constituency and as minister was top class uh, but what he did was wrong he has said it's wrong he is now excluded from the work that he was doing and he also is facing a SIPO inquiry so mm. Why was so it I wrong? Think, was it wrong because he lied? Well Michael I, I, I'm not going to say other than what I've already said okay. uh, what he well, did let me was ask wrong you, let me I'm, ask not, you. I'm, let, not, I'm let not calling me, people let, liars well, or calling them okay, no, yeah, okay. you can call them whatever you no, want I'm not I'm asking yeah. you to be lying the opposition yeah. called him a liar I'm asking well, they, you they, they, they can call them whatever they like. But, but let uh, me ask you the same question sure. another way. Does Fine Gael applaud li- li- liars in the party? Sorry, Michael, ask you the question Does Fine Gael applaud liars in the party? Well, I, I don't, not that I'm aware of it. So I understand it, and I, I repeat, I wasn't there. Uh, he, they were thanking him for the work he did as a minister, as I understand it. Uh, and I think, th- I, I think that he did a fantastic work as a minister, and that is the truth, and nobody can deny that. Nobody can deny either that what he did was wrong, and I am certainly mm. not denying it, nor is Damien. He has said very clearly that what he did was wrong, and he has, he has lost his job as a result of that. And there is an inquiry into the detail of it, and I await, uh, as obviously everybody does, the outcome of that. That doesn't take away from the fact that that he worked extremely hard as a minister, and I'm sure you're aware of that because he was often on your radio, uh, and I'm aware of it in my constituency uh, that he was always attentive to the needs of of of, of anybody that uh, brought issues to his attention as a minister, and that's that's the truth of it. Okay, so you're happy for him to continue in Fine Gael. Well, uh, Michael, I'm not going to judge anybody. The people that will judge his actions now are, first of all, himself. He has said it's wrong. I'm saying it's wrong. And the judgment that will be passed on that uh, will be by SIPO. And indeed, at the next election, obviously, if he stands... uh, So you'd let anyone in the party, would you? Pardon, Michael? You'd let anyone in the party. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. 
feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Party, I mean, what they did or didn't do in the past uh, is not something for you to judge. No, I've already said it's wrong, Michael. No, but... Uh, but be, be- I, I don't know what you're getting at here. I mean, uh, you know, like, let's examine the fact... The fact is that it's wrong. He said it's wrong. The party has said it's wrong. Mm. Uh, the whole country has said it's wrong. Uh, and SIPTO are investigating it. Okay. Do you think so you should talk I, I about it? That's, that's, Do you think he should uh, make a statement in the doll or give a, an interview here or somewhere else? Do you think he, he should come out and say whether he lied or not? Well, I think, you know, that's a matter for him to say. Uh, but, Michael, the point is that... Uh, the doll normally, the procedure normally is, I'm not saying this is universal, but when a minister resigns, they resign. But if a minister is still in office, uh, they, are, they go in and usually make a statement. It's up to any member to make a statement doll at any time. Yeah, but there's a so disciplinary process. He can there, do that. But there's a disciplinary process within your party, is there not? Well, of course there is, but right. like, yeah, of course there is, but like, uh, you know, that, that, that I, I've no doubt at all. And should Damien issues. English enter into that disciplinary process? Has he disgraced Fine Gael? Uh, Michael, I have said he's wrong, right? Absolutely wrong. I said the country says he's wrong. Absolutely wrong. And that's, that's a fact. Now, but he's earning uh, nearly €100,000. This is what people are asking. How can you do something as wrong as that which entitles you to build a house that honest people that, that, that yeah. honest people aren't entitled to do because the they tell the, the council, yep. uh, 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 they declare honestly. Uh, and th- this course, certainly yeah. would have misled the council. He wouldn't have got planning permission, so he gained from it. Uh, so the question uh, again, is that the type of person that Fine Gael wants in its party or should it be investigated by Fine Gael or should Damien English enter into a disciplinary process to establish internally uh, whether he should continue as a member well, of the well, party? Well first of all Michael uh, the Fine Gael party is fully aware of all the issues here and I've no doubt that the national executive will will review all the issues and there will be a due process in all of that uh, and, and how do we tally that as members of the public as people who vote for you and your party how do sure. we tally that with TDs and senators applauding Damien English well Michael I wasn't there when that no, happened no I understand I, I understand that but, uh, but you, well, you, I've but already said to you that as I understand it mm. uh, that, that they were applauding his work as a minister uh, and were not and it would be wrong for anybody to think and I wasn't there that they were applauding the fact that uh, the circumstances around his resignation certainly they wouldn't be applauding that at all okay. uh, and I think a due process will take place in the party 
But that doesn't take away, as I said, from the good work that he did as a TD and a minister that I'm personally aware of. Okay. Uh, what about uh, Pascal Donoghue's posters? Uh, he said it was worth €1,100. Uh, in 2016, Jed Nash was saying you paid about €5 Euro per poster. It was €3 Euro to put them up and €2 Euro to take them yeah. down. Uh, and that if you totted it all up, it would have come to uh, about €5,000. That would have been the value of the work that was done uh, instead yeah. of 1000 Indeed, Mary Fitzpatrick, uh, who was running in the same constituency as Pascal Donoghue in 2016, paid around €5,000. Uh, do you believe uh, the minister when he says it was worth one thousand? Well, I just 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 said this morning before I came here uh, to work, I looked at uh, some of the returns from the twenty sixteen election, and you'd be you'd be surprised to know that some TDs or candidates said they cost a hundred quid to put up the posters in some cases. Uh, myself, I paid around two thousand euros, uh, and different constituencies have different ways of doing that. I don't know what Jed actually paid. Uh, but obviously, uh, different people, different parties, you have people who will help you. Uh, or some parties in the country, they have a lot of money uh, and they have professional teams putting them up. And what happened in Pascal's case is, is what is in the public domain. And all of that is now being investigated by SIPO. So um, I, I, the true answer is SIPO will come up with all of the facts in relation to that issue. And I think, again, uh, what, uh, what, what, what uh, Pascal has said is that, is that he ought to have and he should have corrected the record, I think, as early as 2017. And that is a fact. Um, so, yeah. you know, this is... Uh, but having said that, uh, his work as a minister is, is absolutely, uh, you know, huge in terms of the economy, the fact that we have 5 billion surplus in our economy, uh, you know, so there's huge, fantastic work has been done by this government in terms of keeping our economy safe. And at the heart of that has been the work that Pascal has done as Minister for Finance. And uh, I think there's nobody who doesn't agree with that. But obviously, clearly, he now faces uh, this inquiry by SIPO. And obviously, as I said, I would hope that that would be done fairly and as quickly as it can be done, but with with the process that it will require. And you support the Minister in saying that's the end of it as far as he's concerned, that the next questions he answers about this will be to SIPO. No, well, I think that the point was made, like the dog chamber is where Pascal requested to go in to speak. He actually... Uh, he actually wrote to the Count Cora to make that statement. Now, look, we were, I was there for, 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 for the hour, and obviously I was aware of everything that happened there. Uh, and clearly at this stage, it now goes to SIPO. Uh, obviously the opposition have every right to raise any issues they want, put on any motions they want. Uh, so like that's, that's the role of the doll. But the role of SIPO now is to investigate all of this and to give a judgment on it. And it's obviously, you know, that's that's where that's where it is right now. Mm. So there won't be any more questions answered. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. Pascal said last night uh, that he was he he was sending all the in, information that he had. Uh, in fact, I think he said he had sent it, including the answers he said. Normally, if I'm not quoting. Mm. 
exactly to the questions that were being asked. So, should, I mean, should, all should, of that should, would be uh, in the public I mean, domain. Some, some of the questions are very simple. Like, is Michael, of Sto- course, yeah. is no, Michael, is Michael Stone one of his mates? Did he go to his wedding? Uh, is he a confidant of uh, the minister? Um, did he get mates' rates? Yeah, well, I, I don't know is the answer to that. I, I know, mean, but we all have friends, Michael. You, you have friends. You wouldn't mind me asking. You I have friends. Yeah. I go to weddings of friends. Yeah. Uh, no, I know. So. But you, you know what I mean? They're not terribly sinister questions. Um, I mean, No, not at all. Absolutely not. Absolutely mm. not. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, 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 you know. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, Michael. Yeah. Uh, uh, and why did he uh, say that he had done nothing wrong uh, 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 for, what is it now, three, five years? Uh, all of those issues, he has, he has said very clearly uh, that, he, that he, he has apologised for his omissions. He has admitted his mistake. Mm. He, has, he, is, he is accountable, obviously, to the doll, absolutely. And he's also accountable uh, to the law of the land through SIPO, who, who will be carrying out this inquiry. So, so whatever happened and the full detail of it, all of that will be gone into uh, and all of that will become public mm. knowledge in the full in the full, all of the full facts. Mm. But, and, he, uh, but he was asked about it in 2017, wasn't he? And then he was asked about it last November. Well, as I understand mm. it, 2017, I, again, I'm not speaking for him because I haven't spoken about this at all, but as I understand, he became aware that a commercial van was used in 2017. Mm. Mm. And I think the media were querying him about this, I think, in November. Now, that... I, that's the best of the knowledge that I have. Now that, mm-hmm. that I believe is, is are the facts, but uh, but the point is we're all, we're going to get to the bottom of this, uh, and obviously everybody will know the mm. full facts. But that will be after uh, Pascal Donoghue and Damien English have retired from politics. Uh, well, I think that's the expectation, yeah, but, and that's what's leaving people with a, a bitter taste in, in their no, mouths. I, I don't agree, Michael. I think that Sipto investigations. Uh, are much quicker. I mean, uh, there's certainly, we all believe, certainly two years left in this stall. So I, I would expect this, as again, it's, yeah. it's a matter for SIPO to, to, to timeline all of these things. But it, it, these are very serious matters, yeah. obviously, and I'm quite sure that they will give them their full and immediate and fair and independent okay. attention. All right. I, I would expect, okay. yeah. I, I don't know yeah. the timeline on these, but yeah. you know, I would expect, I would expect it would be sooner rather than later. I think we're going to be hearing lots more calls uh, for SIPO to have uh, greater powers. I'm sure Absolutely, and I fully support that, Michael. Absolutely. Well, look, thank you indeed. Uh, okay, and thanks for having me on, Michael. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that. Uh, that's uh, Fine Gael TD for Loud and East Meath, Fergus O'Dowd. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's talk once again about a large group of people coming together because of immigrants in this country, but for a a very different purpose, because this time around it was to welcome all of those people who are seeking international protection in this country. Michal McDonke is one of the organising group behind last night's rally Northside for All. Northside welcomes refugees and he's on the line. Michal, a very good morning. 
Well, he was on the line, I think, uh, up to a couple of moments ago. Uh, as I say, the idea of the rally was uh, to show solidarity and support for people who have been intimidated by some of the far-right protests that we've seen in Ballymon, in East Wall, in Drimna and elsewhere. We've seen protests outside a convent with nothing but elderly nuns inside people outside saying out, 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 go home, go home, go home Uh, indeed uh, there was a similar mistake made by the right wing when they staged a protest uh, outside of a building uh, when a busload of people arrived to clean the building but uh, the rally last night in Fairview was to show support uh, and indeed solidarity with all of those seeking international protection in this country. Michal is back with us now Uh, thanks uh, Michal for joining us on uh, the programme this morning why did you just come together? Uh, a group of people came together uh, to, uh, I suppose, uh, let people know that the people who are protesting against immigrants are not speaking on your behalf. Well, exactly, yeah. Northside for All came together just in the past couple of weeks to show, I think, uh, what the vast majority of people in uh, the north side of Dublin, and I believe throughout Dublin, uh, feel that... Uh, we are a welcoming place, that refugees are welcome, uh, that we have a system which is there to try to accommodate people who genuinely come here seeking refuge. And um, so much of the anti-immigrant, anti-refugee sentiment that uh, we're seeing, particularly on social media, it's not representative, uh, really, of the people of Dublin or the people of Ireland. And you and are what has been... Uh, you are what has been uh, part of what has been the silent majority, if you like, because I'm sure you're right. Most people are, are welcoming people here from the terrible situations they're leaving behind. And we have this very vocal minority uh, on uh, social media who might make you think otherwise. But that's changing because uh, your rally last night uh, comes uh, on the foot of other communities coming together to welcome refugees. That's correct, yeah. I mean, it, it, in Ballymone, Drimna, uh, East Wall itself. Um, yeah, the, the, no, this is, this is happening all over the city. And uh, we had people from other parts of the city there as well last night in Fairview. There were hundreds of people uh, on the footbridge in, in Fairview. And uh, the message was very clear. Uh, this kind of tide of negativity, uh, largely on social media that we're seeing, it doesn't represent people. Um, the numbers that we're seeing at some of those uh, protests are not representative. And I would also say that in many cases, people who have attended those uh, events um, are maybe, you know, being taken in by some of the stuff on social media. Um, I think maybe m- many of those are beginning to question um, what it's all about, because there's no question that there are these far-right elements, tiny splinter groups, such as the Irish, uh, so-called Irish Freedom Party and the Irish National Party, uh, who have swooped in on communities and tried to store up fears and prejudices and hatreds. And they, what they have also tried to do is they've tried to exploit people's genuine questions and genuine concerns, because there's no doubt there are genuine questions and concerns. Uh, I don't believe that all of this has been handled uh, very well by government. Uh, I think in many cases information has been lacking. Uh, I think in, in the case of East Wall, for example, mm. 
if if full information had been provided to the community uh, in advance and full transparency, I think we would have avoided a lot of those problems. Yeah, what we've been pushing here is a, a meet and greet be organised when people come into the area because it, it takes out all of the mystery and with that the fear about people uh, who you know Absolutely. nothing about I mean, and you're being told something false exactly. about. Exactly. It, it is all based on, uh, on fear. And I think when people get to meet uh, individual uh, refugees or people who are seeking asylum or immigrants, mm. you know, and in most people nowadays in the workplace work with immigrants. Uh, unfortunately, every, everything in, in, the, in the kind of imagery that we're getting from the far right and some of it replicated on social media, you know, it's the creation of, you know, the other, mm. you know, this mm. kind of... Uh, other type of person yeah. uh, and the, the, it's really to dehumanise people so we need to get beyond that uh, we need to say look these are, uh, these are human beings everybody has rights the Irish people when we went abroad uh, had to avail of those rights we had to seek asylum in other countries uh, we had to in our millions uh, go to other countries to, uh, to, to migrate for mm. work so you know it's a, it's a universal human experience. All right, Michal, I think you speak for many of our listeners uh, who were very happy to see you take a, a stand and a public stand in the way you uh, and your neighbours and people from outside of uh, the locality did last night in Fairview. And thank you indeed for taking a few minutes to speak to us today. It's much appreciated. Michal McDonka is one of uh, the organising group behind that demo in Fairview last night. Northside for all, Northside welcomes refugees. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, Fianna Senator Shane Castle says uh, the government has signed off on the Navan rail line. Well, has it? Uh, what we do know is uh, the government has signed off on the transport strategy for the Greater Dublin area. This is a 20-year plan which is to be taken in two steps. The first step over the first decade uh, we'll see concrete steps which will be taken up to 2030. Then there's a, a wish list for the following decade. And we do know uh, that uh, the Navan rail line has been part of the plan all along. The draft strategy in 2021 said that it hopes uh, that it would be extended to Navin. It's on the wish list. Let's uh, speak to Shane Castles and indeed uh, Sinn Féin's spokesperson on transport, Darren O'Rourke, TD. Good morning to both of you. Shane Castles, what has changed since 2021? Uh, good morning, Michael. And I think what well, yesterday was was a, was a hugely significant day. Did anything this change was, since 2021? So again, Michael, we'll start again. So yesterday was a hugely significant day because this was the first time the Cabinet has actually signed off on the project to make it real. So in 2021, you had the draft plan yeah. and you, you referred to yesterday. And that's all it was, Michael. It was a draft plan. It wasn't signed off on. So yesterday was very significant day because <laughs> politicians have been talking oh, about... Right, here we go. Yeah, no, so, so, so nothing happened yesterday in relation to the Navin Rail Line. It's still in the plan as an aspiration. It's on a wish list. There's no funding. funding. Uh, there's no money committed to this. N- nothing concrete to talk about. So again, yesterday, Michael, the Navin Rail Line was actually formally signed off on. It is now actually formally on the books of the government, which wasn't there before ever. Now, if you don't think that's significant, that's fine enough. But yesterday morning, when I was going around the town of Navin before I came to Leinster House, the people who had been listening to LMFM News, the people of Navin, my town, who had heard this announcement, were ex- 
exceptionally happy because for the first time ever, it's actually on the books. It wasn't on the books up until yesterday. It was only an aspiration, as you said. It was only a draft. Did and anything way, change? In 2021... Did anything change? In 20, yes, because it's well, actually now become concrete. How much, how much has been applied to the project? Michael... As was announced yesterday, the commencement, and at least people are being honest now in terms of when it can start, in terms of 2031, and you said this is in two phases. It's not. There's actually three phases to this plan. So the first phase are the kind of the projects that are already on the books and are going to be completed out. There then is a second tranche from 2031 up to 2036, and then there's actually a third tranche of projects that go out the way out to 20. Well, I have uh, to tell 20. you, I think it's really misleading to say that the Cabinet has signed off on the Navin rail line. Misleading in the extreme, I would think. Well, that's, that's your choice. All right, Darren, or, uh, no, Darren no, 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 O'Rourke, no, no, what do you no, think? No, 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 no. You want to try and portray yeah. something well, in a very, on. very negative way. I want to bring in Darren O'Rourke. I want to bring in Darren O'Rourke. Darren O'Rourke, do you think it's misleading to say that the Cabinet has signed off on the Navin Ray line? Well, I think it's it's hugely disappointing, actually, and I think it's incredible that this has been presented as good news. Is it misleading, though, to say it's been signed off on? Well, I, I think we, we, we now have, interestingly enough, so we haven't, I haven't seen the Greater Dublin Area Transport Strategy. It hasn't been published if, if Cabinet signed off on it well and good. But we have a fair idea, and we've had a fair idea for the last 12 months of what was going to be in it. Um, bear in mind that the public consultation for the Greater Dublin Area Transport Strategy closed this time last year. Um, the transport strategy runs from 2022 to 2042. It's now 2023, so its its starting point is already a year late, uh, which 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 in itself wouldn't give you good confidence. I think the the really disappointing thing for people here, and there were over almost 2,000 submissions from people from County Mead, and what they knew at that time was that the the Navan rail line construction yeah. would start at the earliest time in 2031. And almost 2,000 submissions. That was, that was what people knew in 2021. If the Cabinet had signed off on it yesterday, I think there would have been an announcement that €750 million Euro had been allocated to deliver the Navin rail line. Isn't that what you mean when you talk about signing off on something? Absolutely. As, as far as I'm concerned, it is. Two so, so is Shane Castle's a spoofer? Well, I, I think it's, it's deeply misleading. I hear it's deeply disappointing. What, what, what I think the people of Mead deserve and the people in Avonland and Shockland and everywhere else that, that will, will benefit from this hugely important uh, piece of infrastructure at a time of a climate crisis where we have major mm, targets yeah, for 2030. Yeah. Everybody wants it. it. Uh, Eamon Ryan says we've got to get out of our cars and get onto the trains. There isn't a train. It has to happen, but uh, there's no money allocated to this, which to my mind means it has not been signed off. Shane Castles, have you been spoofing? So, Michael, yesterday, I think, I think if you give me the space to actually explain what happened in terms of the process, because the process to this, this is not like building a bus lane. This is building a major project. And it does take a process to happen. So what you keep referring to the draft, that was a draft, and that had to go on public display. When the public display ended, it comes to the Cabinet to approve that. That's what happened yesterday. The plan itself, and which is more than just Navin Rail, will be actually formally presented then by Eamon Ryan next week as Minister for Transport. But there's funding that has been committed to Bus Connects. There's funding that has been committed to Dart Plus. There's funding that has been committed to Metro Link. There is no funding at all whatsoever committed to the Navin Rail Line. That's the point. Are you spoofing? 
No, Michael, because it's in 2031 it would be commencing, and that's when you will actually allocate the money then. You allocate the money to the jobs that they're doing at the present time. You don't allocate money to something that is commencing in 2031, Michael. You're commencing the work that you have on the books as is. That's how processes work, and people understand that. And for the first time ever, as I said, when I've met with people, when people have been interacting with me yesterday, they're actually happy that someone isn't spoofing, but they're telling them the truth. They're not telling them it's going to start tomorrow, because they wouldn't believe that because they know that there's a planning process to go through. They know mm. there's a procurement process to go through. This is not going to be easy either. We've already seen very significant people and Darren sides the constituency landowners to say they want to object to this. So it is going to be. Okay. For anyone to say that it can start in the morning is absolutely nonsense. All right, Darren O'Rourke. So the people actually appreciate the honesty for once, Michael, and they appreciate that this actually has been formalised on, signed off on, and is going to happen for once. Darren O'Rourke uh, from uh, what you understand uh, of this? When would you, would when would you expect to see a train in Navan? Oh, I, I, um, I, I, I really couldn't answer that question. It's, it's, it's not a, a, at all clear. And I, I want to pick up on on Shane's point about about honesty here. I don't know. Well, I presume listening to, to Shane there, he he never read the ACOM report, the feasibility study of the Navan Rail, which outlined the business case that supported the Navan Rail project. Because what it said was the project should start now. Actually, what it said was the project should start in 2022. Take it to planning, planning done by 2025, construction and delivery, 2026 to 2029. Now, that's a plan that's in black and white that I support, that Sinn Féin support, and that Sinn Féin and government has committed in every way to delivering. And my party leader will be in, in Navin Town next month reaffirming our commitment to deliver it in that timeline, the timeline that Mead County Council wants to see. Shane Castles, do you think Sinn Féin is spoofing? Absolutely, pure and utter, and, and, and I, I'm really, I can't get over because I've dealt with Darren before for a long time when I was Fianna Fáil whipping the council and he was Sinn Féin whipping, and, and I appreciate that he's, he's, he's a good guy, but this is spoofing for a very simple reason. I've looked at, many, I'm involved a long time in politics in Navin, I'm involved with this project a long mm. time, and all of the reports up until this point were actually saying that we didn't have, this has to be based on population projections. It has to be based, and Mead County Council have mm. done a huge amount of work, very laborious work, and non-sexy work that goes on in the background, Michael, to make sure that this has to be written yeah. off over a 30 to 50 year period in terms of yeah. paying for itself. And we had to have the yeah, population when you, when, projections when you, right. When you promise something and you don't allocate the money, it quite often doesn't happen, like the hospital in Navin. Finn and Fall promised that, never happened, got to, around to the point of doing it, oh, we don't have the money. Uh, and, and that could very well be the case this time around. Darren O'Rourke is telling you, vote Sinn Féin, put us into government, we'll put €750 Euro in, in, into building this uh, and people will be uh, on a train going from Navin to Dublin and the other way around before this decade is out. You're saying uh, trust in us, uh, we'll come up with the money someday, somewhere uh, and uh, when we get through all the planning all of that, uh, we expect it'll be 2031 it could be uh, later than that but God knows. But you could say it could be later than anything, Michael. I'm telling you what's actually been announced. Maybe Darren's pres- prominence was trips to the moon on a, on a space shuttle. Well, what you're I'm the only you, one who's announced what it. What, I, what I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is actually what's happening, uh, Michael. And I'm explaining to you. Let's just finish this point, Michael. To try and say that something can start tomorrow when you actually have a really significant piece of planning now to go through is yeah. absolute madness. So, so it's on a wish list. No, it's on a wish list. It's on the same wish list that was on in 2021. 
it's not, Michael. And I don't think you actually understand what I'm saying to you. I really don't, in terms of the significance of Cabinet signing off and actually authorising something. It could have been pulled out of the plan. It could have been actually scrapped. It wasn't. And by the way, it was scrapped before in 2016 and taken out of all plans. This was actually a very laborious process to make sure we got it back. And for the first time ever, it's a reality. It is going to happen. People understand that. They realise that it's now firmly on the books, supported by government okay. to make sure that it happens. And the money gets allocated very, at the time of very quick final retort. allocated, not 10 years in advance. Darren O'Rourke. So this is a statement of fact. This Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Green Coalition have transport priorities. Their number one priority is DART Plus, Lewis Green Line Upgrade, GDA Cycle Network, City Centre Management Measures, Climate Action Management Measures, Bus Connects, New Dublin Area Bus Network. They are the number one priorities for, for this government. The Sinn Féin-led government would add to that the Western Rail Corridor and the Navin Rail Line. We would start those projects now. Okay. The commission repo- report is done by the ACOM report. The financing, the 750 million euros, is based on current values. Right. If, when, when Shane and Fianna Fáil want to deliver it, it will be far in excess of that. Okay, well, look, at risk. you've both accused each other of spoofing, so we let our, our listeners uh, make up their own minds on that. Thank you to both of you for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Darren O'Rourke is a Sinn Féin TD for me. These this party spokesperson on transport. We were also speaking to Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Argos is closing all of its stores in Ireland. All of the staff working in Argos are to be made redundant. This is breaking news and some dreadful news, I'm sure, for many people. But all of Argos stores in Ireland are to close. Breaking news. And you'll be hearing more in the bulletins and throughout the day today. I believe Pascal Donoghue. I believe he's a man of integrity and a man of the highest standards. And he's somebody who I've known for a very long time. Um, and I believe he's somebody who we can trust uh, and somebody who I believe. And I think deep down everyone in this house knows that, uh, that, that Pascal is a man of integrity and somebody uh, who tells the truth. That's the Taoiseach Leo Bradkirk. Not everybody was as convinced as the Taoiseach. What we know about the donation in 2016 to Minister Donoghue is, is still limited. We still need to know more. It appears that a company and its owner picked up the costs of his election postering without his knowledge. A highly unusual arrangement, to say the least. How can Minister Donoghue be clear that this was a donation to the party and not to the candidate to help his re-election in, in reality? And how can we trust what has been disclosed to date, in particular the commercial value that Fine Gael has put on the donation, where, Taoiseach, is the evidence that you have to back up the revised disclosure? Can you tell us how the commercial value was determined? And can you tell us, is it common practice in Fine Gael for business people to pick up postering costs for individual candidates? Labour leader, Ivana Bakic, Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou MacDonald had as many questions. The businessman who provided the donation of postering service... Michael Stone, at that time headed the Construction Industry Federation, the organisation that represents developers. Mr Stone was subsequently appointed by Fine Gael to the Land Development Agency outside of the normal process. So this demonstrates again how Europolitics works in Ireland. A cosy club culture that sees Fine Gael ministers slip seamlessly out of government and into roles as financial lobbyists that allows vulture funds to run amok, 
that sees housing policy written for big developers and corporate landlords. Despite his best efforts, Minister Donoghue cannot escape the fact that he broke the rules by receiving this donation. And that is why he failed to correct his election return when the matter was brought to his attention as long ago as 2017. It's why he tried to convince members of the media that there was nothing to see here when questioned in November. It's why it took Sippo writing to the Minister last Friday for him to respond. And since then, the Minister has concocted a story that has changed so many times that its credibility lies in tatters. So there's lots of questions. Everybody wants to know what happened. What happened here is that six years ago, <clears throat> a businessman who's a supporter of his paid six people less than €200 Euros each to put up and take down posters. There was also the issue of a loan of a company van and the amount, the value of that, uh, was below the limit uh, above which you must declare it as a donation. Uh, he didn't know the full facts. He only knew the full facts himself until recently. And when he did know the full facts, he amended his return, as he explained uh, on Sunday. He accepts that he should have done this much sooner, uh, and he does concede uh, a mistake in that regard and has apologised for it. So that's the Fine Gael version of events. Sinn Féin wasn't buying this story. The minister first claimed that the posters were erected at night, but images published by the Irish Independent show workers I can assume, I can only assume employees of Mr Stones in their hired hats using the company van to put up the minister's posters in broad daylight in the middle of their working day. And yet, Minister Donoghue wants everyone to believe that this wasn't an unlawful political donation to him from a construction company. Nobody, nobody believes that story because it's not true. Right, Sinn Féin has questions for Fine Gael. Fine Gael has questions for Sinn Féin. Um, but Deputy, you know, there's an not dissimilar situation here in relation to a donation that you accepted, uh, a thousand euro donation that you accepted from John Dowdle, uh, your friend, uh, somebody who was, would have been one of your cronies. On your declaration, Deputy, Thank you, lodged teacher. in 2021, you claimed it was a personal donation to you. It has since been claimed by Deputy Riley and by you and by others that it was a donation to Sinn Féin. Do you not now need to correct that declaration? Was it a donation to you, uh, which you took and spent? Was it a donation to your party? There is a difference, Deputy. Thank and I, you, I don't know if there's a simple complaint in about this, but somebody might consider doing that uh, because you've questioned Santa in that regard too. Leo Brandker and uh, the Taoiseach was retaliating. Accountability is important. Uh, it should apply to all of us, government, opposition and independence. It should apply equally. Uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And I would like to invite Deputy MacDonald to make a statement on the Dowdle donation. Was it a personal donation as you reported it? Or was it a donation to your party as you now claim? And also to explain why your party and perhaps your party treasurer might want to make a statement on this. Uh, to make a statement to the House. Make a statement to the House as to why, as to why there was a two-year gap in accounting for a €7,000 payment uh, to a British polling firm. And I would like to invite... Uh, Deputy Doherty and Deputy MacDonald to make statements to the House with regard to those matters. Questions from Fine Gael, but there were still more questions for Fine Gael. Teacher, there must be an opportunity to question uh, Pascal Donoghue and the Dáil. Um, this goes to the very heart of the functioning of the political system in this country. The reason why we have declarations uh, of donations is because we need transparency to see what influence businesses and developers can have in the political system. For decades, this country was hammered by the fact that a, a golden circle 
bought influence through donations to ministers. And this created incredible damage that we are still paying for at the moment. Now, in the case of Pascal Dunhue, it's reported that the donor in question was nominated to the board of the Land Development Agency shortly after that donation. And the Pascal Dunhue himself named that individual as the chair of the North East Inner, uh, Inner City Initiative. Now, I'm not saying that individual has gained in any manner uh, financially as a result of that, but we do need to make sure that there's transparency. So then the minister came into the doll and Pascal Donoghue apologised. I want to uh, emphasise um, my apology for what has happened and my, aware, my awareness of the issues that this can raise regarding integrity and public life and issues that really matter to me. Was that enough? You tried to reverse engineer the value of the political donation to make sure it was below uh, the allowable amount. You say the donation was worth €1,100. Euro. But again, the problem for you is the rules are crystal clear. It says, and I quote, donations in kind are to be valued at the usual commercial price charge for the purchase, use or acquisition of the property or goods or the supply of the service donated. Not how much Michael Stone paid the individuals to do the work, but the open commercial value on the open market. So how does your claim of €1,100 Euro square with somebody who was contesting the same election in the same constituency, Mary Fitzpatrick, who had to pay nearly €5,000 to get her posters put up and taken down, and many of your colleagues sitting behind you paying two and a half to just get them put up. That's the reality. This is the amount of the donation that you failed to disclose, a donation that was unlawful, and that you're still trying to cover up. Right. That's uh, Sinn Féin's Pierce Doherty saying it was unlawful because the normal commercial value has not been declared. Labour's Jed Nash had something to say about that. And how about the estimate of the cost of the service? We know that the usual price charged for erecting and removing election posters in 2016 was about €5 Euros per poster, €3 Euros up and €2 Euros down. And if a 1,000 posters were involved, which would be normal in a campaign, then the commercial value is closer to €5,000. Right, €5,000, somewhat more than the 1100 uh, the Minister is now saying that was paid for those posters to be put up and taken down. Yes, the political season is underway. It was always going to be a busy term, but it has started with a bang, no doubt. It will continue in the Dáil today, where there'll be many questions, I'm sure, asked about Argus deciding to close all of its stores in this country. We'll be hearing more about that in the bulletins throughout the day. That's our programme though. Thanks to Maggie Maguire for researching. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie 